This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Wednesday afternoon, June 21st. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. As companies look to attract workers, some are becoming much more pet-friendly. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, inflation is taking a toll on weddings. Let's learn about the impact from Nicole Palacios, the executive editor of Inside Wedding based in Los Angeles. Nicole, thank you for joining us today. Is there a specific source of wedding inflation? Um, no, not not really. Not one specific one. Um, just like we're seeing rising costs all over the nation, you know, from gas to food. Same thing with weddings. It's, it's the food that's becoming more costly, flowers, definitely. Even invitations and the cost to mail them, to print them, the paper has increased. It's really all over. And then where are uh, couples uh, trying to save some money? It seems like uh, the the certain budgets, you know, it seems like they're beginning with just uh, smaller guest lists. Yes, yeah, smaller guest lists, having a more intimate wedding is one, a destination wedding. Even though it seems like it would be costly to travel, you'll likely have a lot less people attending. Also, um, favors, just eliminating favors altogether is one choice. Although um, instead of individual favors, some couples are opting to um, contribute to charity and and leaving little place cards saying we, we donated on your behalf to all of their guests or even reusing flowers from ceremony and segueing over to the reception and kind of using them again in a different way. Are there uh, is there are, are venues and wedding vendors still uh, reporting a backlog of weddings that may have been canceled in 2020? Definitely, but that is still happening. And um, we're seeing a lot of weddings on Thursdays all the way through Sunday, um, just because there's so many weddings that still needed to take place. And um, also those weddings on a Thursday or Friday are are less expensive. So it's kind of working out both ways. And is this still a function of because uh, so many people are in a rush to uh, get married, a a ceremony that may have been delayed from three years ago, that uh, the vendors and the venues uh, still have all the pricing power and hold all the cards? Um, They do. They do, yes. And outside of just finding new ways to save money and having wedding ceremonies on different days uh, compared to the traditional Saturday, are you also seeing uh, some unorthodox ways of uh, trying to address wedding inflation? Yes, we're seeing actually venues um, instead of just like a hotel that we know we're very used to. I'm seeing couples really outsource different creative ideas from airport hangar, not airport, um, from Airline hangers to uh, museums to gardens and greenhouses, they're really being creative in where they're hosting their weddings. So wait a minute, airplane hangers, uh, hopefully uh, the airplanes aren't in them. 
<laughs> well, there's some. There's some that are um, like vintage airplanes that are in there. There's a really cool one in Orange County in California. That's um, it's really nice actually. There's no actual airplanes nearby, but um, just the vintage ones inside. I, I just had a vision though of there being a, a wedding <laughs> ceremony. Uh, you, you can now kiss the bride, and all of a sudden, uh, an A380 uh, backing in for maintenance. <laughs> that would be amazing. Nicole Palacios, executive editor of Inside Weddings based in Los Angeles. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, playing the pet card to attract workers to the office. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Companies are using various pet-related perks in the effort to make workers happy at the office. Let's discuss some of the trends with Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert at Robert Half. Michelle, thank you for joining us today. And the employment market is so hot, it's now exploring strange and new places, it would seem, Michelle. Is this the first time in the history of HR that uh, recruiters have moved on beyond humans to attract and retain talent? Uh, well, it definitely might be the first time that they're actually making it part of the company benefits or lure, for sure. And and what are some of the uh, the pet benefits that uh, big companies already have in place or are trying to implement uh, in this effort just to keep their employees happy? Yeah, I do think um, a lot of companies, you know, even Robert Half has offered pet insurance employee benefits for a while. But I think what we're seeing now that's new um, that give workers more options and more flexibility that they have been used to working from home over the last couple of years include things like um, having a dog park on site at your your office, being able to bring your pet into the office and not, you know, once a year or once a quarter, but, you know, every day. Um, and then we've seen some of the others as far as, you know, pet bereavement, um, time off, uh, you know, even stipends for pets. Is there a particular uh, sector of the economy where this is more prevalent compared to others? Because you always hear about the tech startups and they, you know, we have this really wacky, unorthodox office. There's a bar, there's a foosball table, you can bring in your pot-bellied pig. But you don't get that in banks or insurance companies. But are they starting to step up to the plate here? Yeah, I definitely think a lot of companies are looking at that. Um, you know, I know across the country and in different cities, you have seen so many more pets in all kinds of locations, restaurants, businesses, et cetera. And I think companies just have to look at it as one more benefit that is important to employees that you might need to use to attract top talent. But if you're in HR, this could potentially be one more headache because as we've had with uh, restaurant guests before, they've talked about the balancing act is if you allow pets on the premises, you know, what happens if a pet owner uh, isn't looking after their dog or if the dogs start getting into a fight with each other. And that's something that is very possible when you bring them into the office. Yes, absolutely. I do think you have to look at things like does your building or um, the owner of your building even allow pets on site and what are the rules around that? And yes, you need to make sure you have some rules for your employees as to what that environment looks like 
so that it doesn't go crazy and or someone does, you know, find themselves in a um, bad situation. And it's a different situation compared to a restaurant because with the restaurant, you're there for maybe two hours at the most with somebody else's pet. You can deal. But we're talking about eight hours or more. You have to work. You need a productive work environment. And you'd be probably more willing to pitch a fit if uh, someone has a dog that's bothering you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in many cases where we've seen like doggy daycares on site or, um, you know, dog parks on site, you as a company have to think about all the costs associated with, you know, maybe employees to staff that, maintain that, clean that, et cetera. So there are definitely lots of things you have to look at in comparison to the perks that it offers your employees. Well, I have a fish at home, and uh, assuming <laughs> I can uh, put that fish in the car and uh, bring it to the radio station and place it at my desk, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll run that one up the flag flagpole, Michelle, and see what uh, what they have to say about it. Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert with Robert Half in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, going green by recycling your no longer used credit card. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. MasterCard is launching a worldwide effort to recycle credit cards. It's just one of the ways companies are looking to be more eco-friendly. Let's learn more from Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com based in New York. Ted, thanks for joining us today. And is, is there a number on how much, how many tons of plastic are generated or thrown out by credit card companies and customers? Oh, it has to be gigantic. I'm not sure an exact number, but yeah, as you mentioned, MasterCard has been a leader in this area. They've committed that starting in 2028, all newly produced MasterCard plastic payment cards will be made from more sustainable materials. Some companies are already doing this. Like, for instance, the REI credit card, um, which actually is a a MasterCard, that's made from 85% recycled materials, American Express has their green card, which lives up to its green branding, not just the color, but the fact that it's made from about 70 percent reclaimed plastic that was taken out of beaches and oceans. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot more companies caring about this sort of thing. Will there be an effort to uh, specifically recycle credit cards themselves? Because, of course, now uh, when you're done with a credit card, you merely cut it up into a million little pieces and potentially throw it in the recycling can. Yeah, I think we will see more on that front. We're also seeing more metal cards, although there may start to be a little bit of a backlash there um, because those are often more difficult to recycle and actually just dispose of in general. Uh, Sometimes you actually have to mail those back to the company because you can't easily cut them up or shred them. So I, I know there's kind of a prestige factor associated with those heavy metal cards, but I feel like we're starting to move away from that and into a more sustainable realm. How will tap to pay change the environmental impact of the credit card business? I don't think it explicitly changes the environmental situation. One thing, though, that I would say related to that is we could envision a future where we do away with the physical card itself, because a key part of tap to pay is tapping with your phone or your smartwatch or some other electronic device. We're seeing more states go electronic when it comes to driver's licenses and car insurance cards and things like that. 
I could envision a world where the physical payment card maybe goes away and it just becomes entirely digital. And then we're we're in the midst of it or coming off maybe an explosion in the use of credit and debit cards. I mean, I think the number of uh, the amount of plastic that the average uh, customer was carrying in 1990 is dwarfed by the amount of plastic you need today just to get by. Yes. And that's not going to change anytime soon because Cash is less and less of a thing every year. Same thing with checks. I mean, people are using a lot more credit and debit cards. I do think these will continue to evolve in more digital and technological ways. Um, A lot of people have a lot of different cards. One thing that would really be interesting that I don't think anybody's really cracked so far is could you come up with one physical card that kind of combines a whole bunch of cards into one. Um, But you know what I guess is really happening there is that's what the phone is doing, basically, where you can load a bunch of cards in and then it's kind of this proverbial Swiss army knife where you have one device and then all the cards are are loaded into it. So that's probably even more where we're headed with this. Ted Rossman, industry analyst with CreditCards.com in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, dealing with an unexpected financial setback. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Residents of the southwest side react to their park field house being turned into a shelter for migrants. Another member of the U.S. Supreme Court facing ethics questions. In Personal Finance Wednesday, we discuss the best choices to deal with a temporary financial setback. Fans of chocolate may have to dig deeper to satisfy their need. WBBM Business, the market. Markets are lower. The Dow is down 38 points. The Nasdaq down 162. S&P 500 down 21. We have 84 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies going up to 87 today. It's 1231 topping our news at the half hour. Some residents of a southwest side neighborhood are upset the city is turning the Gage Park Fieldhouse into a migrant center and shifting a number of programs elsewhere. The details from WBBM's Bernie Tafoya. Gage Park is at at 55th and Western, McKinley Park is nearly two and a half miles north of there. One of the programs being moved to McKinley Park to make room for migrants at Gage Park is one for children and adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Sandra Ward's grandson is among those who'd be affected, and she told CBS2. It's a lack of communication, transportation. You're moving me at least 20 blocks farther down. Um, the, the role. 15th Ward Alderman Ray Lopez says McKinley Park is better suited for that program than Gage Park is. He says the Gage Park Fieldhouse is a good location for a migrant center because it can hold so many people. 
Bernie Tafoya, News Radio 1059 WBBM. The nonprofit news organization ProPublica is reporting what it says is another ethics issue involving a member of the Supreme Court. It says Justice Samuel Alito did not disclose a 2008 fishing vacation provided by billionaire conservative donor Paul Singer. Denial of wrongdoing from Alito appeared in a Wall Street Journal op ed hours before the story was published. More from CBS News correspondent Scott McFarland. According to ProPublica, Singer's Manhattan-based hedge fund was involved in at least 10 cases brought before the Supreme Court, many of them high-stakes business cases. Those cases were heard after that fishing trip in 2008, with one decision in 2014 when the high court voted 7-1 to in Singer's favor. And Justice Alito did not recuse himself from any of them. Alito maintains he followed what he understood to be standard practice when he did not disclose that vacation. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are in the red. We're joined by Hugh Johnson, Chairman and Chief Investment Officer of Hugh Johnson Economics, based in Albany. Hugh, thank you for joining us today. And when it comes to the interest rate announcement that uh, Fed Jay Powell made, not an announcement so much, but testimony uh, on, on Capitol Hill, today. Was that basically priced in his idea that uh, more interest rate hikes will be needed to bring inflation under control? Well, what he's really saying is that, look, uh, the level of rates is one issue and the pace at which the Federal Reserve raises rates is another issue. So they paused in June and that sort of emphasizes that they're going to take their time now that we've had 500 basis points and increases in interest rates. We have credit conditions which are questionable. In other words, problems with lending. So given those things, he's saying pausing every now and then makes good sense. But that is not inconsistent, he's saying, with the idea that rates may need to be moved higher periodically. That means moving from 5.125%, which is where we are now, up to 5.375%, possibly probably more than possibly, at the July meeting and maybe even going further at the September meeting. So the pace is one thing. They're slowing increases. The level is another thing, and they have not signed off on increasing interest rates periodically. And and, and there are so many ways in which this uh, interest rate discussion touches the average consumer. I mean, if you are trying to get a mortgage for a house or if you're trying to get financing for a car, obviously higher interest rates uh, do impact you directly. Uh, the same thing with inflation, even though it is slowing down and the prices, uh, the, 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 it's moderating in, in a number of areas that it affects our lives. But what's interesting to me and what people may not know is that much like how everything else is adjusted for inflation, that also applies to the federal funds rate. And if inflation continues to go down naturally, that interest rate will continue to get higher even if they don't do anything. That's right. It'll get higher and it'll also start to do some damage. In other words, it's real interest rates or interest rates adjusted for inflation that really is the measure of what the impact is going to be on the economy. Interest rates have been raised 500 basis points without adjusting for inflation. If you adjust for inflation, well, quite frankly, maybe a little bit higher. But the point being is that the real question, the real question is, Will real interest rates, 500 basis points and and even higher if we consider real interest rates, will it impact the economy? We looked at the retail sales numbers for the month of May, 
it appeared to me, based on those numbers, that things are slowing down. The consumer is not quite as robust or spending as much as, he, as, as they used to spend. And therefore, the rise in interest rates is indeed, whether we call it nominal or real, is beginning to impact the economy generally, but impacting that important part of the economy, consumer spending. We saw that in the retail sales numbers. And then very quickly, if you're the Fed and you see the nominal, the, the real interest rate getting higher and higher, uh, you know, what, what's, what kind of balancing act do you have to strike? You have to do exactly what Powell's saying. You have to say... We've got to be data dependent. We've got to watch the numbers as they come in. And those numbers are going to tell us whether we should go further, raise interest rates further or not. And believe me, they're going to have a lot of questions on their mind, especially when they start to look at the June inflation numbers. The year-over-year inflation numbers for June, which we'll see in two or three weeks, are going to be pretty low, 3.2% for consumer inflation versus the 4% that we saw for the month of May. That's going to give them some real questions. In other words, it appears to me, when I look at the retail sales numbers or when I look ahead at the consumer price index number for the month of June, uh, the Fed's increases in interest rates is having a real impact, not just on inflation, but also on the economy. And that's going to give, in my judgment, members of the Open Market Committee some reason to pause. Hugh Johnson, Chairman and Chief Investment Officer of Hugh Johnson Economics Base in Albany, New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, strategies to deal with surprise financial trouble. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Personal Finance Wednesday and an unexpected financial setback doesn't necessarily have to be a life-changing event. Let's get some help from Craig Milanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group based in Inverness and Downers Grove. Craig, thank you for joining us today. And when we talk about an unexpected financial setback, what are some examples of a setback that would lead a person to start eyeing their retirement fund? Oh, well, Rob, haven't you heard of Murphy's Law? Everything that can go wrong oftentimes does go wrong. And when I think about it, it could be medical expenses. It could be housing-related issues. Some people, because of job loss, end up on the cusp of eviction. Other people could end up on foreclosure. And all of those put us in crisis mode. And when we get into crisis mode, we look for the simplest and the easiest solution, not necessarily the best solution, and sometimes the simplest and easiest leads people into tapping their retirement funds, specifically the 401k. And that seems like that should be the resource of last resort. I think it is the resource of last resort because there are so many avenues that people can pursue. And with the 401k, there are two ways to get money out. Let's educate America on that. Number one, we can take a 401k loan. And that 401k loan, we can withdraw up to $50,000. We pay our loan back over the course of 60 months or five years with interest going back to ourselves. But something we're seeing more and more often, Rob, is not 401k loans, we're seeing 401k hardship withdrawals. And when we do that, we're talking taxes and in some cases, penalties and other things. Are there some uh, withdrawals that you could take that uh, do not have a tax hit? 
Well, let's say, for example, we're in a jam because Murphy's Law came, and for whatever reason, we don't want to structure a 401k loan. Maybe we go and talk to our plan administrator, that means HR, human resources for most of us, and we're going to try to get a hardship withdrawal. That hardship withdrawal means when we take money from the 401k, we still have to pay taxes, but we'll likely be able to avoid that 10% penalty if we're under the age of 59 and a half. And when those hardship withdrawals get processed, it's usually for medical items, funeral expenses. It can be in some cases tuition needed. It can be in some cases related to housing. Again, down payment, foreclosure, eviction, etc. All of those will qualify as hardship withdrawals. And then very quickly, uh, uh, what's your advice on borrowing against your house uh, with a home equity loan or a line of credit? Well, I think so many people have used their home, their principal place of residence, like a virtual ATM machine, and we under and we all understand why. It's one of our biggest pieces of net worth, but I encourage everybody to look carefully today at the terms and conditions, especially be mindful. I just learned the Federal Reserve chairperson said, hey, we might just not be done with this fight against inflation, and home equity lines of credit come at significantly higher cost to borrow than they used to, so I think the bottom line is is, Rob, borrow sparingly, create an emergency fund, and execute good financial game plans. Those are the prescriptions for success. Craig Milano's founding partner and chief executive officer of the Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Thanks for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday and still to come, why the cost of chocolate is likely to be going up. It's 60 minutes of financial planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. If you need your chocolate, you're a chocoholic, you may want to start saving up. Let's find out why from Phil Lempert, founder of SupermarketGuru.com based in Los Angeles. Phil, thanks for joining us today. Uh, why, why is the price of chocolate going up? Well, Rob, there's a whole bunch of reasons for this. Uh, number one is climate change. Number two is the fact that we love our chocolate and consumption is higher than ever before. And the reality is, according to A.C. Nielsen, um, chocolate on average up 14.5% um, this year alone. And that's before we really start to have some serious problems. If we take a look Cocoa Futures, which is really the indicator of where the prices are going to go, that's up 21% this year. Um, also, next year, big problem, El Nino is going to be hitting um, Africa and other parts of the world. That means that crops are not going to have the kind of yields that they do for uh, cocoa. Um, so that's a real problem. There's also been some diseases. Um, a lot of pundits are saying that the diseases are caused by climate change as well. It's called swollen shoot disease. I'm sure you've never heard of that before. Uh, and basically, <laughs> it's spread by insects. And basically, the stems of, of the uh, cacao are swollen, and they can produce less cacao. Um, so all that put together means prices are higher. And also keep in mind that when you read the ingredient statement on your chocolate, there's a bunch of ingredients. Cacao is one, uh, but also sugar. Sugar is at 11-year high on prices. Uh, cocoa butter is up 20.5%. Um, just to give you some idea, um, when we look at what the price of, of cacao is 
for, you know, 2018, it was $1,877 a ton. This year, it's $3,160 a ton. Um, and also, if you love dark chocolate the way I do, because it's the healthiest chocolate that's out there, that has a higher amount of cacao in it. Guess what? That means those prices are going to go even higher. And then very quickly, Phil, what kind of hit can we expect to take at the grocery store? Well, right now, according to Nielsen, it's up about 14%, but I would expect between now and the end of the year, you could add five points to that. It'll probably be up about 20%. And again, depending next year on how hard El Nino hits Africa, it could go up even another 10, 15% over that. Phil Lempert, founder of SupermarketGuru.com, based in Los Angeles. Thanks for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.